The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this ends the reading of God's Word. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be back with you all. Like Doug said, <clears throat> my name is Abram McCorders, and I was here a couple of weeks ago. And the touchy thing that Doug was talking about was that uh, people keep mentioning accomplishments that happened six, seven years ago. And uh, I, I didn't get mad at Doug. I got mad at myself, you know, because it's like I got to do something cool every now and then. And I won't say I promise, but I did say from the pulpit I'd do something exciting. And I didn't know that Doug was going to ask me to be back in two weeks. Like I thought I had months to accomplish something exciting. <laughs> Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So I'm sorry <laughs> that I failed you. Uh, but it's, it's great to be back with you all this morning. Uh, if you've been here for any amount of time, we're, we're still working our way as a church through the book of Galatians. And uh, if you've been here through the series, we, we've really been trying to unpack the message of the gospel that Paul is trying to get the Galatian church to return to. And there are so many things as I've been reading through Galatians and studying through it, preaching through it, trying to memorize it. There's so many things that I appreciate about how Paul lays the gospel out. I love how he tells his testimony about how he personally has been transformed by the gospel. By being be a man who formerly was persecuting the church to going to be being a man who, as people hear about his faith, he says that people are praising God on account of him. The way he talks about the dramatic confrontations with the false teachers and the people who were brought in to spy out his freedom in Christ, or the ways that he confronts Peter himself, the great apostle Peter. 
the ways that he talks about what Jesus has done for him, about how he has loved him and given himself up for him, how Paul has, has unpacked some of these Old Testament scriptures. It's been really helpful for me to think through and read through the story of Abraham again through the lens of what Paul has been talking about in Galatians chapter 4, and, and also using relevant il illustrations of, of airship and sonship and things of that nature. They, Paul is such a good, skillful writer in the ways that he lays out the gospel. And there's so much to appreciate in the first four chapters that it can be easy to hang out there and begin to characterize the gospel as just a worldview to intellectually know and understand. But as we move into these last couple chapters of Galatians, Paul's begins to unpack how the gospel informs not just what we know, not just what we believe in our hearts, but what we do and how we do it. And I'll admit, I think this is a part of the Bible that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, especially in our day and age. I mean, did you did you read through the list? Did you linger on the list? Did you did you see yourself in the list? Right. For some people, as as we read through portions of Scripture like this, and there there are many, Paul Paul puts out other lists in in Romans and in Ephesians and things of that nature. For some people, as we read through portions of Scripture like this, it can, it can remind them of the judgment passed on them. Because of the ways they didn't fit the picture of Christianity others wanted them to. Or for some people like me, it, 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 can sound, it can be a sound of God's disapproval as they look at the list of ongoing struggles of sin. And for some of us, especially as, again, we've been preaching through this book, especially as we begin to grasp this understanding of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, it can feel counterproductive to then begin to talk about the importance of the way that we live. But as we move to the practical implications of the gospel, we can't understand this section apart from the first four chapters because the gospel itself is holistic. I mean, it, it feels highly counterintuitive, but the same man who said we can do nothing to earn the salvation that we have been given in Christ is also going to say in these verses and in others that our faith in Jesus makes everything that we do matter. Again, he's going to say nothing matters when it comes to salvation except God giving it to you as a gift. And yet, as you believe in Christ, everything that you do matters. Now, now how is that? How are those two things that are seemingly opposed to one another, how, do they, how are they held together? Well, it's begin, again, because the gospel is holistic. The gospel is not just information, and it's not just reformation, but the gospel is transformation. Again, the gospel is not just information. It's not just something we intellectually assent to. And it's not just reformation, something we try to physically live into. The gospel is, is transformation. It's something that rearranges and reshapes every part of our being. And Paul has been framing that kind of transformation in terms of freedom. So look at, at verse 13. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. And I think this is such an appropriate metaphor or analogy because living into true freedom takes real transformation, doesn't it? I mean, once you've been once you've been freed from something, it rearranges and reshapes every part of our being. And sometimes it can be hard for us to understand because we, we feel so far removed from, from the physical experience of slavery. But even just think about the, the, the independence that we gain as we, we grow older. We, we start from being children who have no independence. We, have, we, we just have total dependence on our parents to keep us alive, right? But as we grow older, we're slowly given more freedom, more responsibilities. And, and eventually, there comes a time, at least for my parents, where they say, 
uh, you have so much freedom that we're going to remodel our house so that you can never live here again. You can only stay for a couple of days. Right? That's, that's the kind of freedom that they're trying to, trying to give us. And, and, and think again about that independence as, as we grow older. It's not just enough as we grow to believe in our minds that we have more independence, right? It's not just enough for us to know our new bedtimes or, or to know what kind of meals we like to make or, or to know that we can go do these things out in the world. And it's not just enough to act like we have more independence, but, but true maturity, true, true wisdom, becoming men and women who can contribute to society, not just uh, becoming grown-up children who rely on other people to keep them alive, that takes both knowing and living into our freedom in a way that, that, that constantly rearranges and reshapes us. And, and this, is, this is the same is true of us as we come to the gospel. See, the good news is that, that Paul has been talking about for the last four chapters, God has freed us from our slavery to sin and the requirements of the law. And, and we did nothing to deserve that. We did nothing to earn that. that. And that status of freedom is ours without having to do anything but to trust in it. But here in these verses, and as Paul goes through the end of Galatians, Paul is going to remind us that we can't experience the fullness of that freedom unless we let that understanding work itself out into the way that we live. It's in the understanding and the living out of the gospel that God reshapes and rearranges us. It's in our affections and in our actions that God reshapes and rearranges, transforms us. And we're going to sort of slow down and take a couple weeks to really unpack this idea through these verses 13 through 26. And, And I'm taking the first week to talk about what makes that hard for us to do. What makes it hard for us to live into the ways that the gospel frees us to? And we're going to do that by talking about our flesh, our flesh. And so we're going to talk about three things this morning. We're going to talk about the purpose of our flesh. We'll talk about the nature of our flesh, and we'll talk about the crucifixion of our flesh. The purpose of our flesh, the nature of our flesh, and then the crucifixion of our flesh. So let's talk about the purpose of our flesh. In verse 13, let's read it again. Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I mean, notice, notice that he starts rough right away with, with a warning. And that warning is against us using our gospel freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, what does he, what does he mean, that, mean by that? What is, what's he giving us in this, in this warning? Well, I think we have to understand a couple of key concepts here. First, we have to understand what Paul is talking about when he says flesh. And here, in this sense, as he's using it in this idea, flesh just means our physical bodies. It means our hands and our feet, our, our elbows and toes, our mouth and our ears. It's, it's the thing that we use to move around the world with. It's our, it's our physical nature. That's what he means by flesh. And what does he mean by the word opportunity? Well, every time this Greek word is used, it's used as a time to take advantage of something. And so you'll see in other parts of scripture, sin seizes an opportunity to bring death through the commandment. False teachers seize opportunities to boast about themselves. And, and Paul tries to give believers an opportunity to boast in Jesus Christ to refute those false teachers. That's, that's this Greek word opportunity that's being used here. It's not just like a passive opportunity, like something may happen if, if the opportunity arises. It's, it's an opportunity in the sense that you want something to happen. And you're just looking for the moment that you can take advantage of to make that thing happen. 
And so understanding these, these two things, we'll, we'll take it a step back and sort of understand this warning that Paul is giving the Galatian church and Paul is giving, giving us as, as we come into our relationship with the gospel. Paul is telling the Galatian church, you have been called to freedom, but do not use the freedom that God has given you to make your bodies things that jump at the chance to serve themselves. Again, you have been called to freedom, but do not use that freedom that God has given you to make your bodies things that jump at the chance to serve themselves. Now, now why might Paul have to warn them against that? And, and why might we still need that warning uh, today? Well, think about the ways that this, the, the people in this church were previously using their bodies. Previously, they were believing in a gospel that told them that they had to meet the righteous requirements of the law in their bodies. So they had to participate in things like sacrifices. They had to participate in certain feast days. They had to participate in the, in the act of circumcision. So they had to be certain places, do certain things, and alter their bodies so that they can gain and maintain God's favor. And don't we still have that same kind of message in our society, right? I mean, what does it mean to be a worthwhile person in our culture? Well, there's a certain height and a weight attached to it, isn't there? There's a type of school and places of the country that you have, you have to be from. There's different jobs and hobbies that, that people say you have to participate in. There's, there's even an accent and a kind of language that you have to be able to speak. We still, just like the Galatian church, are constantly using our bodies to try to justify ourselves. But as you, if you've been listening along in Galatians, Paul says that the gospel frees us from having to do that. It frees us from having to use our bodies to justify ourselves because Jesus has justified us in his body on the cross. And so it's our faith that saves us, not what we do with our flesh. And, and can we just take a moment to pause and say, praise God. Praise God, because that is such a weight lifted. It means that no matter how tall or short you are, no matter what, what the number on the scale says, we, we have freedom in Christ. God extends to us the grace of his son. It means that if you finish school or if you, or if you didn't finish school, if, if, if you have an elementary education or if you have a PhD, God is seeking to give you the knowledge of the love of his son. It means that no matter what job you work or even if you work a job at all, if you have a, a strange accent or, or, or speak many languages or no languages, God has given you his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for your sins and to bring you into relationship with you. No matter what this flesh looks like, your physical body looks like, he has come and made a way for you to be in relationship with him. We do not have to justify ourselves in our flesh, in our bodies. Now, if that's, if that's true, we have to ask ourselves, I think like the Galatian church was asking itself, and like the New Testament church was asking itself, well, now that we no longer have to meet the righteous requirements of the law in our flesh, what becomes of our relationship with it? What becomes of our relationship with our body? And Paul answers that by saying, our relationship with our bodies, what we are to do with our bodies is to do what they were created to do, which is to love and to serve one another. That's the purpose of our flesh. That's the purpose of our hands and our feet, our eyes and our ears, our elbows and our toes is to use these things to love and to serve one another. Our, our bodies were not created to be instruments of self-justification, nor were they created to be instruments of self-serving. They were created to be instruments of the spirit to display God's likeness and image through loving service. That's what they were created for. 
And that's what we've been redeemed to do. And this is true in, on so many levels. This is true even in the physical makeup of our bodies, even, even at the microscopic level. I mean, listen to how medical professionals explain the difference between cancer cells and regular cells. One description says this, normal cells divide only when they receive a set of appropriate signals, whereas cancer cells divide themselves despite the absence of those signals, and they are resistant to the signals telling them to self-destruct. Another description says this, normal cells stop dividing when they touch other cells. They usually do not migrate to other areas. Cancer cells, on the contrary, invade into surrounding tissues and spread to other organs. While normal cells follow a strict set of rules to support the body, cancer cells only look out for themselves. They take up space, pushing against blood vessels, nerves, and organs. Their growth causes pain and damage, keeping the body from working properly. Lastly, an another description says this, cancer cells are creating all sorts of destruction. They're genetically related to normal cells, but they figure out ways to put up a force field around themselves or put a marker on their surface that signals to the immune system, hey, I'm like you, don't attack me, so that it can continue to attack the body. I mean, down to your the, the physical makeup of who you are. At the microscopic level, every part of who you are, how you've been knit together and woven together is in your body is to love and to serve itself. For the, for the cells in your body to, to love and to serve one another so that you might be a healthy system. The multiplication of our cells and the growth of our physical beings is only good if through the healthy function of service. And when our physical body stops doing that and decides to take and devour instead of love, we call that cancer, and we begin to experience death. It's true, the physical makeup of our body. But Paul says in verse 14, this is true. The purpose of our flesh is to love is true. Not just, we don't, we don't just see that in the physical makeup of our body, but it's true also from the standpoint of the law. So in verse 14, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, as, as he's been talking through Galatians, he's never said that the law is a bad thing. It's just, it's just something we're not meant to use as a shield from God. And what's the nature of that law? What has God required of us and accomplished in Jesus? It's love. Again, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The purpose of our flesh, the purpose of what we've been redeemed to do, what we've been created to do, what we've been redeemed to do is to love. And then Paul says in verse 15, this is also true as we live in community. Because what, what do we call a community that, that looks out for one another, that serves and loves one another well, that cares for one another, that helps to provide for each other's needs? We, we call that kind of community family, no matter what you look like, no matter who you've been born to, right? But what do we call a community that cuts each other down, that undermines each other, that keeps each other at arm's length? We call that kind of a community a toxic community, a sick community, a cancerous community. And Paul says that kind of community ends and consumption of one another. See, our bodies were not created to be instruments of self-justification, nor instruments of self-serving. They were created to be instruments of the Spirit to display God's likeness and image through loving service. And that's exactly what the gospel frees us to do. It frees us to live into our purpose, which is to love and to serve one another. But, but if that's what we're created to do, why don't we see more communities operating that way? Why is it hard to find churches sometime that live that way? Why don't we feel ourselves 
living that way, that loving service that we were created to do. Why does Paul not just end at Galatians 5, chapter 13 and say, hey, you've been free to do it. You've given what God has given you to do. Go do it. I trust that that's going to happen. Well, it's because we don't just need to know the purpose of our flesh. We have to know the nature of our flesh as well. Brings me to my second point, the nature of our flesh. See, though our flesh was made for loving service, it does not naturally live into that purpose. Again, though our flesh was made, it was created, crafted, and redeemed for loving service, it does not naturally live into that purpose. Though our hands and feet and mouth and ears and elbows and toes were meant to serve in love, they do not naturally do that on their own because of the reality of sin. And, and I think cancer is such an appropriate metaphor because, because just like cancer, sin is rebellion against our original purpose. Just like cancer, sin creates all sorts of destruction. It looks out only for itself. As it, as it grows, it causes pain, and it doesn't know when to stop. It just keeps invading different areas of our lives. That rebellion of sin starts just like cancer at the most core and fundamental level, and then it grows with no intention of stopping until it consumes everything it can. And, and I'm not just sort of trying to paint uh, a, a, a picture of sin that, that, that's not accurate. You look at the text. Look at verse 16. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Do you hear Do you hear the rebellion in that text? Do you hear what we are made for on one side by the spirit and what we naturally do on the other? And do you hear how the two are, again, are naturally or are opposed to one another? It's, it's because of sin. It's because sin starts just like cancer at the most core and fundamental level and grows with no intention of stopping until it consumes everything it can. And again, it starts at the core and fundamental level. It starts at our desires, meaning that long before we do something that's counter to how we were made, we begin to set our hearts on things counter to how we were made. And, and, and I may be alone in this, Right? But, I, but I certainly see this at play in my own life. Right? I'll, I'll tell on myself for a little bit. Sometimes if I listen to my flesh, sometimes if I, if I listen to my hands long enough, they'll tell me more about the people that I want to slap more than the people that I want to embrace. If I just listen long enough, right? <laughs> if I listen to my mouth long enough, right? It'll tell me more about the people that I want to gossip about and slander more than the people that I want to encourage. Or if I, if I listen to my eyes long enough, they'll, they'll tell me about the images and websites they want to linger on rather than the vulnerable and cast out people they want to pursue. Or if I, if I listen to my feet long enough, they'll tell me about the places they want to go to get away with things rather than the places they want to gather with God's people. And that's just me. I know I'm at New London and, and I'm learning and I'm growing from you all and I want to be like you all, but that's just me. I, this happens at the most core and fundamental level of, of our desires. Each day there is a war inside of me with my purpose on one side, my natural inclinations on the other side, and I have to decide each day which one I want to live into because the cancer of sin causes me to desire rebellion, the opposite. 
Now, now I may not act on each of these desires, but they've been there for a long time and they're faithful to show up each day. Long before we do something that's counter to how we were made, we set our hearts on things counter to we set our hearts on things counter to how we were made, because sin affects us at the core and fundamental level of our desires. But that but that sin, those desires left unchecked, grow and they begin to affect our actions too. Paul keeps going. He says in verse nineteen. Now, the works of the flesh, not just the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, now we can group this list that Paul makes in, into three we can yeah, group this list that Paul makes into three loose categories. He, he says, not only does sin affect our desires, it affects our actions. And we can talk about it in three sort of different buckets. We can talk about this in terms of sexual sins, spiritual sins, and strife. And so in, in the area of sexual sins, he puts sexual immorality, which is just sexual activity outside of God's appointed context of marriage. He puts impurity, which are acts that defile our minds, bodies, and souls. And he puts sensuality, which is a lack of self-restraint and a giving over of ourselves to what simply pleases the senses, no matter its acceptability. In the, in the spiritual sin bucket, he puts idolatry, taking good things and making them ultimate things to be worshipped. He puts sorcery, which is attempting to control or manipulate our surroundings, often through the use of magic. And in and, and, and the sense of this word actually is where we get this idea of, of abusing drugs, right? So uh, I'm sh- maybe some of you uh, dabble in magic. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming maybe not, right? Uh, but there is a sense in which we do still try to control and manipulate our surroundings by the things that we consume and put inside of us, right? That's why people abuse, uh, uh, abuse drugs because there's a sense in which there, if I take this, I, I, can, I can control the way that I feel. I can control the way that I experience the world. I can control the way that the world experiences me. That's, that's what the sense of sorcery that Paul is talking about. And then that last category of strife, these are some pretty straightforward ones. Enmity, which is hatred and hostility towards other. Strife, which is this constant engagement of arguing and quarreling. Jealousy, which is a coveting what other people have. He puts fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And notice Paul says this list could be longer. In the end, he says, in things like these, which means that just as much as he's trying to draw our attention to specific actions, he's trying to give us a picture of the nature of our flesh. Left to our own devices in the cancer of sin, we are consumers. I mean, look at that list. Look at the list again in, in verses 19 through 21. Which of these things that Paul lays out is used to serve someone else in love? Not sexual immorality, not impurity, not idolatry, not fits of anger. None of these things on this list are meant to serve someone else in love. All of them contribute to, to the consumption of something for our own sake. This is not an arbitrary and outdated list. This is a picture of the nature of our flesh, infected by sin, which consumes and devours whatever it can and as much as it can. 
And here's why this is such an important thing for us to know and to understand. Here's why it's important for us to talk about sin, to talk about these things, and to talk about the nature of our flesh from the most microscopic level of our desires, even through to to some of these big and major actions. It's because it's not to make us feel bad. It's not so that we sit in here and we condemn ourselves or we condemn each other and go, hey, I see somebody on this list. No, it's important for us to understand because Paul says that if left unchecked, our sin can infect us to the point that we become willing to forfeit the gift of the inheritance of God's kingdom for the chance to consume just a little more. Go back to verse 21. He ends the list and then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the danger of our sin. This is the danger of giving ourselves over to the the consumption that our flesh naturally is inclined to. See, Paul is not talking to people who are struggling against these affections and and is seeing their struggle against these things. He's talking to people who have given themselves over to these things and who are identifying themselves with the desires that consume them. And can you imagine? Can you imagine God holding out to us the gift of salvation? the gift of his son, the gift to be able to not be condemned under the law. And we say, no, I'm I'm okay, God. I want to be able to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. Can you imagine him holding out to us the joy and the peace, the safety and the security, the provision that we experience in the kingdom? And we say to him, I'm all right, God. This this desire for, for these substances, this desire for, for, for this, for, to consume more, this desire to not forgive and just to be angry and to quarrel with people, I, I'd rather that than, than your kingdom. This is what Paul is saying the danger is, is of not understanding the nature of our flesh and to continue to giving ourselves over to us, over to it. Can you imagine us standing before God right, and him saying, you, you, you can't be here, you can't be with me because you chose unforgiveness over my kingdom? And the reality is, yes, I can't imagine it because I'm tempted to do it each and every day. This isn't a list that we are removed from that we look back and go, hey, I hope we never get there. This is a list that, meant, that is meant to reflect the nature of our hearts each and every day, the things that we are naturally inclined to give ourselves over to because the, the cancer of sin causes us to desire to consume. We're tempted to forfeit God's kingdom for the ability to consume more each and every day. There are things that we are created for, and there are the things that we are naturally inclined to do, and the two are opposed to one another. Not because God made a mistake, it's because our rebellion, our sin, has corrupted his creation. Though our flesh is not inherently bad, there is an infection in our flesh that keeps us from living out the loving service that we were created for. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating to constantly be swept up into that battle, to be swept up into that war, to, be, to, to, to think that there could come a day where, where, I would, where, I, where I would try to trade God's kingdom for the ability to, to consume. But it's frustrating not just because we might not experience after, an afterlife with God. It's, it's frustrating because it hinders our experience of God here as well. Remember, we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, we cannot experience the fullness of gospel freedom 
unless we let that understanding work itself out into the ways that we live. It's in the understanding and the living out of the gospel that God reshapes and rearranges us. And so each time we act, not according to the purpose of our flesh, but according to the nature of our flesh, we miss out on seeing the power of God at work in us and in our communities. So if we have this purpose, but we have this nature that's opposed that keeps us from living that out and, and missing out on seeing God at work, this gospel freedom really at work in us, how, how do we fight that? What is our hope in overcoming the nature of our flesh? Well, Paul says it's through the crucifixion of our flesh, which leads me to my last point. Again, next week, Doug is going to get <clears throat> into the nature of the Spirit and unpacking the, the fruits of the Spirit. But notice what Paul says after he lays out the fruits of the Spirit in verse 24. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. <laughs> this is the hope that Paul holds out for those of us who feel this war each and every day. And in some ways, this is so much harder than how our culture tells us to fight against the nature of our flesh but it's so much more hopeful. It's so much harder than what, what our culture holds out to us as a solution, but it's so much more hopeful. And, and, and why is it harder? Well, because I think what our, what our culture usually says, and you can even hear a version of it in the church, what we usually say is when we feel the desire to consume in unhealthy ways, we just suppress it. We find ways to suppress it. And so I, I can't remember as, even as a, as a young kid in, in church and uh, in, in talking to my friends about these things, you, you dealing with lust, go for a run, go do some push-ups. go, go, go find a healthy outlet. Do you know how many midnight runs I went on, <laughs> came back and couldn't go to sleep? Do you know how many push-ups I was doing in my room trying not to hear people, not trying not to let people hear me breathing hard and, and, it, and it never sort of took those things away? Or how about if, hey, if you're dealing with anger, just remove yourself from the situation. Well, what if I'm angry at my family? What if I'm angry at my siblings? What if I'm angry with my parents? I, I, I can't run away, right? You can't cover up infections with a shirt. You can't, these, though these things, there, there's some good instruction. There's some good wisdom in these things. Suppression isn't the thing that we, can, that we place our hope in. They're all fine things. But what the Bible says is, is that when you feel the desire to use your body, to jump at the opportunity to serve itself, don't just suppress it. Crucify it. Crucify it. And what is crucifixion? Crucifixion is death. It's so much harder than suppression. Crucifixion is a slow and painful and public death. Again, a slow, a painful, and a public death. But it's appropriate to the kind of problem we're dealing with. Again, if you have an infection, you don't just put a shirt over it and hope that it goes away. You don't just cover it up. You don't just put a Band-Aid on it. You have to get to the root of it and kill the problematic cells. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us to do as we think about the nature of our flesh. Do not suppress the desires of your flesh. Do something much worse. Give them a slow and a painful and a public death. You heal a cancerous infection by killing the cells, not just covering them up. It feels like death. It feels like death to fight against the desires that consume us. And, and can, can I just, again, continue to confess publicly? I'm t 28 years old, still single. 
not even in a relationship. <laughs> and you're telling me I have to wait until marriage and anything outside of that is sexual immorality? That feels like death each and every day. And then thinking about marriage when, when I get there, it's got to be about us and not about me. So I have to kill my flesh now. But then marriage is not an opportunity for me to, to, to start serving my flesh. It's just another opportunity for me to kill it a little bit more. That's death. Right? Or, or think about idolatry. You, you may not have to live for a God who operates on his own time, in his own ways, according to his own wisdom. Rather than living for something that I can manipulate and can control right now. That's death. Especially when I'm hurting. Especially when I'm in need. Especially when I can't see the future and I have to wait on a God who, who says he loves me. But the, the experience of that can sometimes feel a little fuzzy. Whereas I can run to a substance. Or I can run to a person. Or I can run to a job right now and know I, what I can get out of it. Or you mean I have to forgive people who hurt me constantly? That feels like death. Not just separate myself from them, not just delete their numbers and block them, but, but to forgive them? You mean I, I don't have to just tolerate my enemies or separate myself from them? I have to love my enemies? That feels like death. And yet, that is what Paul says. That's how we fight against the nature of our flesh. We don't just suppress it. We crucify it. It's much harder than the things that our culture, our society, and even our hearts hold out to us. But it's so much more hopeful. And why is it so much more hopeful? Because the crucifixion that Paul is talking about is something that's been done for us and given to us. Notice what he says again in verse 24. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Again, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This crucifixion, crucifixion of our flesh, this slow and painful and public death happens by belonging to Jesus Christ. And so this is not just another form of, of, of trying to fulfill God's requirement in our flesh. Paul is not just trying to move us from one mode of self-justification to another. He's not just trying to say, hey, go engage in all these hard things and, and, and God will see that and accept you. No, he's saying belong to Christ Jesus in the crucifixion that he experienced has been accomplished and given to you. Accomplished meaning <clears throat> that we fight knowing that our end is victory. Because of Christ's death on the cross, we know that, that the crucifixion, crucifixion, the death of our flesh is certain. And so though we, though we, we may feel the, the struggle of it, our flesh is, is fighting from, from a place of, of defeat and we fight from, from a place of victory. And, and his crucifixion has been given to us. It's been given to us. And so we experience the crucifixion of our flesh as we belong to Christ. Again, it's not another form of self-justification. It's a form of our union. It's a form of us living in relationship and in step with God. And it may feel like death to your body, but to your soul, it will feel like life. It may feel like he's taking some things away from you, but he's given you back the capacity to love and be loved by other people. You may not get the instant gratification you seek as you crucify your flesh, but you will reap the fruit of the Spirit that gratifies for an eternity. That's the promise for all those who belong to Jesus Christ. 
Because of what Jesus has done for us, we no longer have to meet the righteous requirements of the law in our flesh. Instead, we can crucify our flesh by belonging to Jesus so that we do not submit to our flesh's desires to devour, but to its purpose, which is to love. And if you need that kind of love, Christ extends it to you this morning. And again, the ways that we, we, we live into that, the way that we come to him is by faith. No matter what our flesh looks like right now, no matter how mangled it looks like by sin, Christ died for you so that you might know and experience his love now. And if you do know that love this morning, if you are a Christian and you're experiencing that, even as you struggle and against sin, he calls you to extend that love to other people. This is not simply just how we make God happy. This is how the joy of the Lord transforms us, rearranges and reshapes us from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, the instruction and warning that we find in it. Uh, But we thank you for, for the purpose of those instructions and warning, which is to live into the gift of life that you have given us. Lord, I confess here, uh, with, along with my brothers and sisters, Lord, that, that I struggle in my fight with sin. I constantly find myself giving myself over to the nature of my flesh, which is opposed to you and your spirit. Uh, and yet you tell me that those who belong, those who are in Christ Jesus, there's, there's no condemnation. That the way forward in this fight is not through, through, uh, through our, our earning it, not through simply... Uh, just our effort, but it's through our fixing our eyes on you, through belonging to you, uniting ourselves with you, and allowing you to give us the crucifixion of our flesh that you have accomplished on the cross. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand these things, but to live into them so that we might be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.